Hey, everybody, welcome to week nine of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi. I'm also a career empowerment coach and fiercely dedicated to getting everybody to where they need to be in their career in 2022. I want to welcome everybody today to a program that I've been much anticipating. Have the opportunity to have a really close network of peers, some of which are coaches, some of which have their own businesses, all of which are also fiercely dedicated to getting people to realize their true career potential this year and every year following. One of those people has graciously joined me today to talk about one of the most pinnacle aspects of finding that best career. And that is the interview process, the whole recruitment process from end to end. Her name is Simone Moni Yates. She has been in talent acquisition and HR expert for 15 years from her lucrative career in recruiting to her magnificent work with the Manpower Group and her work in nonprofit with NCFI, as well as in government in the Milwaukee County Housing Authority. She lives her model of being results-oriented, getting her clients who happen to be professional women looking for ideal jobs find them and find them fast. Please welcome my esteemed colleague, Moni Yates. Moni, welcome. Thank you, Andrea. Tell our listeners how you got into the recruiting process and a little bit about your background, if you would. Thank you. So really, I kind of fell into recruiting. A lot of people that do recruiting, um, it's one of those careers, like you either have a background in human resources or you're in business, but you kind of fall into recruiting. So I was looking for a position where I could serve and help others. And I ended up getting a job as a permanent placement consultant, which is kind of a high tech term in staffing for a permanent placement recruiter. So you help people find jobs directly and you're paid a a fee for it or the company is paid a fee and you get a commission based off that. So I fell into it and I just, I really enjoyed it. I was helping people find work. They were out of work getting in, into various different careers. So I worked in manufacturing, I worked in accounting, I worked in some entry-level positions, administration, as well as HR. So really, yeah, I am in my 15th year and I've been doing this for some time. So just it's just been very rewarding where people have the ability to showcase their skills and go in and say like, hey, this is why I'm the best person. But I do a lot of prep on the back end to ensure that they're, they land that, that dream job. Prep probably looks a lot different as a result of the pandemic. Can you share some of the ways that this whole process has changed as a result of COVID-19? Absolutely. So it's working very differently because a lot of the work that we do is now from home. So when I even prep people, we do it over video. We have a hybrid model now. Most companies do where they're having folks come back into the office. So there's some days at home and some days in the office. So the prep does look very different. But the benefit behind that is for those of us that maybe have families or aging parents or children, we have that opportunity to potentially work from home. And with the prep, I'm able to send things. I'm able to talk to them about body language because that's so important when you're on video. And the thing is, I always say, be dressed to impress, not just from the top up, but top down, just like you would for a regular interview. Make sure your resume is ready because after an interview, they may request like, hey, do you have another copy of it? 
So just be as prepared as you would if you were in person. You do the same things, you just do them behind a camera. One of your assets is interview etiquette. What's the first thing that people really need to do when they're preparing for an interview? Is it the resume? Is it what they wear? How granular and detailed do they need to get in planning for some of this interview etiquette? That's a great question. So let's just cover both. So if you're going to be remote, we have been in this field, like I said, make sure that you're still dressed and pressed because things happen where you might have to get up and walk away. And it might not really look good that you have on your blouse or your suit jacket, but then up under you have on boxers or shorts. So I always say still dress top down all the way because you never know what can happen or what they're requesting. Now, if you're going to go in, yes, you still need to look the part. You need to be on time. A lot of the things are the same, like I said, with the exception that you're not in front of them, but you you still should be early, you should be prepared, and you should always just, you know, you should be there before your interviewer and be prepared to ask any questions. So I think it ties in hand in hand. And just like when you're going to an interview, you always want to smile or be professional because you can only make a first impression once. That's great advice. That is awesome advice. One of the things that I'm noticing as a career coach is that people have a really difficult time with their personal brand. So their narrative, what they bring to the table, their value proposition. What do you find people do too much of and conversely too little of when they're either drafting a resume or crafting a narrative during an interview? That's a very good call out. And I think people have struggled with that, as you say, with the personal brand and the narrative now, because I think we've become so complacent because we've been at home. And so people just like aren't prepared. So the thing is, you know, your story better than anyone. So like, I can't tell your story better than you can tell it and vice versa. The main thing is people need to go in and be themselves and relax because there's just these nerves that I believe come over people, they get very nervous. They don't know what to say. They start talking very fast. So they start doing things that are completely out of their nature. So they need to go in and relax and be themselves. People hire you, you know, they don't hire your imposter, they hire you. So be yourself. And then I think the other piece, like you're saying about that personal brand is if you're entry level and don't have much experience, you expound on maybe your college or your high school experience or a previous job you had. And then if you're very experienced and you've done several things, you may be honed in on one or two things that set you apart from the other candidates. Just like any and everything, it's um, it's a market where they get 100 to 200 resumes, but why are you different? And so you really need to stand out and you can do that with one to three different ways that you're able to sell yourself. So remember, people are hiring you. You hope. That's, that's what we're hoping for when we go into interviews. You jogged my mind to something that is a question that has always haunted me from the time I got out of college, got my first job. There used to be this old adage, if it's more than one page in a resume, they're going to throw you away. But as we get on our years, I'm not going to say older, I'm going to say wiser, you get more experience. How far back should you go? And is more than one page okay? That's a great call out too. Here's my take on it. If you do have over 10 plus years of experience, which most of us that are wiser and have been experienced and, you know, have at least 10 to 20 years, a two page resume and even sometimes three, depending, is okay. If you're newer or if you don't have a lot of experience or you have jump jobs, yes, a one page does it all. So I don't want people to be afraid to write a little bit of a longer resume as long as it meets the criteria. And I go over some of that in my resume workshop as well. But you don't want to bore your reader. And as a recruiter, we get so many resumes and you're like, okay, Andrea's got three pages. I don't want to read this. But when it stands out and it speaks to the job, 
which most resumes should, and you use those keywords, you'll be able to get a, a recruiter's attention. So yes, be very mindful when you're writing it that you don't want to bore your reader, but you want to stand out. So why will they look at page one? Because average recruiter spends what, Andrea? 15 seconds, maybe sometimes 10. We browse through it and see if you meet the criteria. If you do, you move on. If you don't, you don't. You touched on another wonderful thing. It's the old, what do I put in my resume? And I believe they call it ATS. You've put certain keywords and phrases in your resume specific to the job you're looking for because that's what recruiters are looking for online. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. And so thanks for bringing that up too. So just to you know modify what Andrea said, ATS is an applicant tracking system. And it's basic, there's several different systems out there. So I'll name a few if you guys are familiar with them. There's Workday, there's Taleo, there's Brass Ring, there's ISIMS. There's several different systems out there. And what happens is when you apply electronically, your name and your information gets put in there. And there's something like an algorithm, just like everything that we work off of, where it looks for specific keywords, specific phrases, specific skill sets that you bring to the table for that job. And usually if you meet that criteria, you get moved on. And honestly, if you don't, then you don't get moved on. It really is that simple. But what happens is because there are so many resumes and there's so many people looking for work, they have to be able to weed out what they're not looking for. And they try to get the best of the best through their applicant track. Best practice, I always encourage people, number one, if you have a foot in the door, somebody in your network that works for the company that you're applying to, give them your resume, have them put that to the top of the pile. What other strategies, if you don't have a close connection that's working for a desired company or desired department, what other strategies can you have clients do to try to put their resume to the top of the pile? So I also have something that I offer called the hidden job lead market. And the main thing and what you want to do, I have two things or two strategies that have worked for me throughout my career. You do want to network. So you want to either find someone that works within the company and you can do that by doing like a LinkedIn search. You want to find someone that works there. Networking is like number one. If you're able to network, people can say, oh yeah, I work there or I'm in human resources. Or I'm one of the recruiters. Yes, yeah, send me your resume. That also takes your information from the bottom, just going through a net, your regular applicant tracking to now I know Andrea at company Coca-Cola and now she's going to move my resume up. And I think the other big strategy is when you have a LinkedIn profile, use LinkedIn to the best of your ability when you're searching for a job. There's a few different things that you want to do to make yourself stand out for that particular position. So if you're looking to transition positions, you want to make sure your LinkedIn profile will speak to that so people can look at that and say, oh, hey, maybe a recruiter or someone might reach out to you. But make sure your summary on your LinkedIn really sums up what you can offer and what you can bring. And so that way too, when headhunters and recruiters are looking, it's another way and a strategy to get in. So networking and LinkedIn, which they almost kind of tie in, those are some of the best strategies and things I've used to land work. And there's also an option now when you get a job via LinkedIn, you can say like, got my job via LinkedIn, but that does work and it does wonders. And people are really happy when they land that job. What do you say to the people that are reluctant to do anything on social relative to the fact that their boss may not know they're looking? That's one of those things. So if you can't network or be on social, media, which I completely get, you can talk to other people and maybe see who they know 
And then maybe you can send a direct email. If you're not on social media. That's also one strategy. You can also kind of do the old school way. And I hate to say it's old school, but we used to just have a paper resume and we put it in an envelope and seal it and say, dear recruiter, dear hiring manager. But that's also like another way if you don't have social media and you still work off of paper and pencil. I still do a lot of that stuff myself. But if you don't have access to that, that's also a recommendation. Do you touch upon another awesome thing that we've talked about as peers is the virtual nuances. And we touched upon it earlier, but you just mentioned it. Typically, when you used to go to panel interviews, when you're doing five, six interviews at a company and they brought you in after an initial, they know enough about you to be dangerous. You used to fresh copies of your resume, hard copies, and you'd, you'd sort of slyly put it across the table or across the desk to the person interviewing you. How do you do that in a virtual world? Is that something you share on a Zoom or is it something that you wait until the follow-up email on? Great question there too. And I think I've really been successful as I help my students and clients is how do you share your resume when it's virtual? The best thing to do, yes, definitely do a follow-up. Follow-up is not dead. I've heard some people say that. And that's just one of those things that you always have to do. You want to thank people for their time and um, for the interview. And the main thing with that is that goes a long way when they're looking maybe through their top five or top 10 candidates. They say, oh, look, these two people sent us thank yous. They also attached their resumes. Those are the people we're calling back, even though they might not have blown the interview out of the water, but they took the right step. So that's one way to do it is the thank you and the follow-up. And then when you get on, you might say, hey, did you need an extra copy of my resume? Yes. And then you go ahead and send it to them while you're on because we're just so electronically savvy. Now we can click automatically, pull it up and have it on another screen. So there's ways to get that to them. And I think those two ways are pretty effective. They either have it during the interview or they'll have it after, but but it also shows interest. With some of my career coaching clients is to prepare them for the interviews, the questions, and they get really, really nervous. There's very basic questions that they're all going to ask you. Mm -hmm. What are the three top questions that people should have nailed walking into an interview? That is great. One of my favorites are most interviews. These are the questions that you're asked. So my, my most favorite is tell us some of your strengths and weaknesses. Okay. So always be prepared to speak about where you're strong because we can always do that so easily. But usually when they ask for weakness, it just means opportunity. So look at it as maybe not as what you do as well as what you do when you're very strong. So what are some things or some areas for opportunity? The other big one is they want to know why are you the best person for this position? And that's when you need to be able to sell yourself in your personal brand and your narrative. You need to be able to tell them, I've got X money years of experience. This is why I stand out. I've worked for your competitor or I've done research, like really be able to sell yourself. That's the second thing. And I think the third question that we really should have nailed down is when they ask you, what are you looking for as far as your compensation? you always need to be ready to negotiate on behalf of yourself. And I also teach this in my course. So if you have questions around what you're looking for as far as salary, then you're not clear. But when they may say, what are you looking for in your next position? You need to be very firm and astute about what you're asking for, because if there's any kickback or you're not sure about something, they will try to lowball you. So those are the top three things that you should be prepared for. And sometimes they do discuss comp right away and other times they don't, but be prepared to stand firm on whatever it is that you know you want in that next role. 
What are the top three questions they should be asking of a company? So I let my clients know too, interviews are sales. I mean, you're in there to sell yourself. So you should ask, when are you guys looking to make a decision? You're not being pushy, but you want to know because you've shown interest, you've gone through the interview process and you want the role. Your second question should be, if you don't have it already, is what is your email address so I can follow up? That's also asking for the position. And then I think the third thing is if it wasn't covered in an interview because you want the position and you've shown interest is you should just in my first 30 or 90 days, what is your expectation of me? You want to know so you don't come into a position where you're like, I never knew that I had to do this because sometimes that's not clear, but you always want to make sure you ask so it's clear to you. So then you can even make the decision. Oh, I don't want to do that or that's exactly what I want to accomplish in my first 30 days or in my 90 days. What are some of the red flags that people can uncover from a interviewee's perspective? So somebody coming into an organization, what are some things that are like, yeah, this might not be the right role for me? And I think when you go in, you have an advantage. I have to be honest because you can look around and you can see the culture and you can see see what people are doing. You can see how people are responding if they're speaking. Like, is the environment friendly? Are people welcoming? Or is it just, who are you here for? So you do have an edge when you are able to go in. Now, when you're on camera and you may have to go through two or three interviews, I think you want to just kind of do a little bit of your own homework on the people that you're interviewing with. So in your first interview, you may want to learn a little bit about them as much as you can, because all you have is a camera. But body language and responses are so important. So those are things that you look for. If you're interviewing and your hiring manager, the person you're talking to is doing everything but listening to you, scary. Um, I think <laughs> I think another red flag, like I said, when you go in and the people just aren't welcoming, imagine the kind of folks that you be work. They're not going to be welcoming either. Um, and somebody told me this a long time ago, and I've just thought about it. And I just want to share it because we're on this podcast. They said they pull into the parking lot and they look at the type of cars that are in the parking lot of the company. You know what? I'm going to fit right in. Everybody's got a sports car or everybody's got a station wagon, for lack of better words. I thought, you know what? Our cars are our personality. So it is kind of something to look for. So again, if you drive a sports car and then you get there, but then everybody just seems so different from that personality perspective, you may not fit in. Just a food for thought. That is great food for thought. I never even <laughs> thought about that, but that's so true. Culture from the outside looks different from culture on the inside. So the company itself that's interviewing you, I've heard that they do a fair amount of social media history on people. They look back and they say, hey, what's your social media profile look like? Who are we bringing in here? What are some of the red flags that might come up from an internal perspective of a company that we may want to be policing our profile up a little bit? It's your social media. So if you have like a LinkedIn, that's more of a business networking job profile. If they're going to look up your Facebook, it may be your personal Facebook. But I think some things to keep professional with our social media are going to be a few things. The main thing is email addresses. I look at that as well. And I'll just use some examples because again, it's good for people to know, but I've come across hot mama 2021 or something like that, or daddy 91. And it's just, those things just aren't professional. Usually first name, last name at 
the email is perfect or your first initial of your last name. So just try to stay professional if you know you are looking for work. That's another big thing. And with social media, you want to have your picture up. You want the employer to know who you are. Remember, employers are also hiring employees. It's the same thing with your brand. People want to see you. So who are you? What do you look like? What do you encompass or what do you believe in? People like that as well. And I think another big thing on our social media is people talk a lot about politics and religion, which I just try to just steer guard. Stay away from that. So I try not to get into that or somebody's Republican or, or Democrat. So just, you know, be who you are. That is who you are. But again, if you know that you're looking for work and they could be potentially looking at those things, there's just something I, hey, I stand clear of. It takes all the guesswork out of, well, what's the feedback? Why didn't they hear? I'm like the right person for the position. Stand clear of those. Be yourself. It's so important today, too, where you think about all of the corporate initiatives that have been invested in just over the last 24 months with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Have you seen changes from your vantage point as you're trying to position? potential candidates for roles? Are you seeing more of the nuance, diversity, equity, and inclusion protocols in place? I do. And I really see them a lot on LinkedIn. There's people use their pronouns now. They've created specific roles that say VP or chair or director in diversity or DEI for lack of better terms. And I think the good thing about that is when people apply for those companies, they know that that's the push. So they're going to have a diverse group of folks. It's going to be inclusive. And then as far as the equity, so male or female, I know I'll get a fair wage. Those places that have those initiatives are going to have a stronger pool of talent because people want to be where they're accepted. And then there's also that other piece of people want to be paid fair. And just to know that, hey, if you're a man and I'm a woman, but we do the same job and our pay is equal, I want to be there. So you're just going to get a different pool of candidates for those that have the initiative versus those that don't. That brings me to the ta-da, the drum roll. The offer has been made and it is time for negotiation strategy. Benefits packages, time off, medical, dental, all of those great things. And it can get really complex. How deep into the process do you go with your clients? We're going through the offer process and salary negotiation benefits and all that to your point. It really depends on their needs. So if they're, just to give you an example, if they're single and they do need benefits and there's a cost, so it really just depends on their circumstances. Then we really hone in. If benefits aren't a big deal or they, they're covered under a spouse and they really need to make a certain amount of money, that's where we hone in. So it's all individualized based on your needs. So like what I need versus what you need could look very different. So we do go over that though, because people, there's some employers that are still paying for people's health insurance. So now you're going to leave a company and go to another company. Now you have to pay. So now I do need to negotiate you another, what, five to 10K and sometimes more depending. So it is very individualized and it's based on your circumstances, but it is something that we cover and go over because when you're going to go into a company and you're brand new, you want all your bases covered. It's kind of like dating. That's another thing I like about recruiting. Like I'm the middleman, then the employer is one side and the employee is another. So I just kind of put the two together, make sure the employer wins and the employee wins. And it's a good, good situation. It does vary, but it is very important because a lot of 
employers even now with benefits, there's lots of different plans that are out there. Some people don't even understand what they're getting themselves into. So I make sure I offer clarity on what's offered, what the cost is. Super helpful. Tell us about your services more in detail and how clients can work with you. Thanks. My coaching program, I have a few different workshops that I offer, but my coaching program is my main program that I offer. It's called the Journey to Career Transformation uh, program. It's six weeks. And what we do is we cover the resume in the first week. In the second week, we go over the interview process and how to master it, which are some things that you heard here today. In the third week, we go over career development and career goals. In the fourth week, we go over salary negotiation, tips and strategies. In the fifth week, we go into transformation, how it's going to look, the offer process. And then in that final week, it's the transformation week. We talk about the journey and everything that we've gone through and how when you're in your new role, what it's going to look like, how to give notice, things to do, and so on and so forth. But it's like the week of transformation, if you will. I also offer a resume workshop. I usually do that. We meet two times, and I do a review, resign, and revamp. And then we just go over your resume to ensure that you land interviews. And then I have another um, very, it's a very small checklist of how to get into the market, how to network. So we go over that and I show you the different ways to do that, how to conduct, how to win, how to ask, that kind of thing. And those are my three different services that I offer. And clients have really been getting some great results from that too. So I'm really excited about it. And where do they reach you for this? Thank you. So I am on Instagram. So you can find me at Instagram.com slash TME coaching, all one word, the Moni effect. That's the TME. And then on my website, it's the Moni effect.com. And Moni does have special meaning, just so you guys know. Moni stands for making one new individual effective. So after you leave the program, you will truly be transformed and effective in your career. So those are the two places that you can find me. And then I also do have a business page on Facebook, and it's also called TME Coaching One. So you can find me on social media. Don't be afraid. I'm not. Clearly, you were named Simone for a reason. That is an (laughs) awesome acronym. And it so speaks to your profession. If you are looking for somebody who can really help you with this process, Moni H, she specializes in helping professional women. I am so grateful to you for joining today. That's what we're all about is to help open doors for people this year. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. We'll probably have you back for a future podcast as well to talk about hopefully how things are starting to turn around in the world. As Ignatius has kept us busy, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm so thankful that you invited me to come on. It has certainly been a pleasure. Well, we'll reconnect with everyone next week. Same time, same place, more power. Bye.